What's going on? Welcome on into the Matt Lombardo Show presented by Heavy Sports. I am Heavy Sports Senior NFL Insider Matt Lombardo. Great to have you back for another week. We have a big show in store for this episode of the Matt Lombardo Show. San Francisco 49ers offensive guard Daniel Brunskill joins us fresh off the Niners 38-10 beatdown of the Arizona Cardinals in Mexico City, capping a weekend where... It might have been the biggest weekend of the NFL year where I think some really hard truths came to the fore for several teams across the NFL. I'm not sure that we've learned more about the NFL this season and where we're heading in the stretch run than we did in week 11. We'll get to all of it. We'll give out the Lombardo Trophy as we do every week. We'll give out my pick of the week for week 12. What a slate of games we have in front of us coming up this weekend as well. And of course, if you enjoy the show, if you love the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, all of your favorite podcast platforms, and leave us those five-star reviews in the Apple Podcast Store. They really help grow the show. Let us know what you like about the pod, what you don't like, maybe a guest or two that you'd like to have on the podcast that you'd like to hear from. And we'll go and get them. But, you know, this was a really big week across the league. And I think the 49ers have really emerged as a threat in the NFC. And certainly, I know the Seahawks were on a bye, so they're kind of out of sight, out of mind. But it certainly feels like after what we saw on Monday night, that the San Francisco 49ers are the team to beat in that division. And maybe, just maybe, the Eagles' biggest threat in the NFC. And we're joined now by San Francisco 49ers offensive guard Daniel Brunskill off a big-time win and a big-time game in Mexico City. Daniel, how you doing, man? Thanks for taking a few minutes. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. Happy to have you here, especially coming off of that game. And I know that you're at the facility now. You just got back from the flight from Mexico City. You know, I have to ask, I know you've probably played in Denver, which is one thing. What's the biggest challenge of playing at altitude in Mexico City in that environment? I mean, it definitely got you. That that environment was amazing. Uh, it was a great crowd to be around. The stadium was awesome. Um, but that altitude was definitely like it's it's a big difference from Denver. But you were I was in, it was four plays and you were kind of huffing and puffing. Wow, how do you prepare for something like that? Um, so the way we prepared, we went to Colorado Springs um, and trained at Air Forces Academy. They're at about 7,000 elevation. And then Mexico City is a little bit higher than that. Um, but uh, we went there to, to try to get kind of used to that, uh, breathing in that air. And, and I think it helped a little bit because I felt like our guys were a little bit more ready for it than Arizona. And I don't believe they did something like that. Um, but I will say like, no matter how hard you train, like, I think you would have to do like weeks before you could get used to it because even like with us training the whole week, uh, in, um, Colorado Springs, I mean, we were still a little bit gassed. I mean, you could definitely feel it. I mean, I don't think we were as bad, but like, I mean, it took four plays and you were kind of huffing and puffing and, uh, like those longer drives kind of definitely got to you. Oh, I'm sure. And you guys still go out and and hang 38 on them on on a pretty good Cardinals defense with a lot of talent there. And, and, you know, Dan, you guys are one of the hottest teams in the league right now. And it it looks like you have all of the pieces. The the defense is flying around. You you have a Bosa, which is great. The secondary is making plays. But on offense, you really seem like you've, you know, firing on all cylinders again. You can dictate to teams in a lot of different ways. What's clicking so well for you guys right now? Because it certainly feels like watching from afar that you guys have turned a corner. 
Um, I think what's clicking for us right now is just the consistency, and we got some young players that are playing very well right now. Um, and it's just kind of we just got to keep putting the, and stacking these games together. And so I think like like you said, a lot of things are clicking on offense, and, and all the guys are working together. We're building great chemistry with each other, and and I think that's kind of the key to keep moving. I think our defense has always done well, and it's just kind of the offense is trying to match that. Um, and like there's been games where the offense has been able to be there for the defense in case, but I mean, our defense has always been amazing. And so right now it's just kind of the offense is if we, we have the pieces, we have all these great players that we get the ball to them in space, they can make plays. And right now it's just making sure that we can consistently keep our tempo as we're going and not let like a defense shut us down. And, and like you said, that Cardinals defense was an amazing defense. And for us to be able to go out there and do what we did, um, and that was a great stepping stone, what we need to do this season. And if we can keep stacking on top of that, I think we could be an amazing team. And you talk about all the talent on defense, but you look at that offense, and Debo Samuel, obviously an all-world talent. I think Brandon Ayuk is one of the more underrated players in the entire league at any position, especially wide receiver coming out of that 2020 wide receiver class that was so stacked. But can you talk about what Christian McCaffrey brings to your offense? Because I said it the day the trade went down, and it really looks and feels more and more like it every time he steps on the field, that Christian McCaffrey was made to play in Kyle Shanahan's scheme. What has he meant to you guys? What has he brought to that offense? What kind of a difference maker has Christian been? I just think the dynamic threat that he brings, it, it really puts defenses in bad situations. Like, they have to cover him in the pass. They have to, like, stop him in the run. He's even shown that he can throw the ball. Like, all those different things, defenses have to respect that. And so that's going to be a lot harder for defenses to be ready for. And so, I mean, just his talent to be able to do everything is pretty amazing. And then also his ability to learn. I think his first game here was the Chiefs, and he got here on the Friday before the game and then literally spent all Friday night. Like, he was in the building till like, the coaches were in the building. Like, literally, when the coaches left was when he left, and that was late. And so um, he stayed up all Saturday making sure he can learn the playbook. And, I mean, he's only been here for a few weeks, but, like, he's got the offense down. He goes and meets with Brock Purdy and makes sure that, like, he goes over every play before the game so he knows what he, all of his assignments. He kind of goes through them very well. And I think just having that veteran mentality um, also brings a huge component to our room because, I mean, our running back room was kind of young. And so he brings that veteran style to help those guys elevate their game. And then we've got Elijah back now, which adds another dynamic to the offense. Yeah. And so for his veteran leadership there, I think that's going to be huge for, like, all those guys in that room. And so, I mean, there, there's just so many different things, not only just his talent, but, like, what he brings to the room, what he brings to the offense and leadership-wise. I think that's huge just going forward because it helps our offense keep the consistency that we need and also just kind of that leadership to get us going in the right direction. And obviously he was doing what he needed to do, right, in terms of learning the offense, staying late, getting in the playbook, staying until the coaches lock the building at night. But how much did that endear him to you guys, to the offensive line, to your teammates on offense? Because I'm sure you had to see it. I'm sure when you see a guy coming in on Thursday and putting in that kind of extra work and then going out and doing what he did on Sunday in that first game, I'm sure that had to make an impression, right? Yeah, no. When a guy puts in that much work, that, that just makes us feel better. Like knowing that a guy behind us is doing everything he can to make sure this offense goes, 
that, that just makes us feel better, like, in wanting to go out there and blood, do everything we can to give him the space. And so, I mean, it, it's, it's awesome to have a teammate like that. And, and, I mean, there's a lot of times where he comes up to me and he's like, like one of the games he said uh, he, he left a lot of meat on the bone. Like, I mean, he even thinks, like, you know, there's, there's more out there. And that's so awesome when you have a guy that just, you know, is hungry to be the best, hungry to keep going and getting more and more and more. And so that, that just makes us feel better because we just know we can keep going up. Like, we're, we're not there yet. We're, we're still going up, and we just need to keep, keep this trend and keep working as a, as a group. For sure. And the other guy behind you, you guys on that offensive line is the quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. And it seems like watching you guys from afar that he has a real command of that locker room. And it sure sounds like every time I hear either yourself or one of your fellow offensive linemen talk about Jimmy Garoppolo, it, it seems like you guys really respect the hell out of him. What makes Jimmy G such a good leader and so successful out there? I mean, like everybody says, he's a winner. I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy goes into every game. And he puts in all the work he has to put in. He, he does everything right. He, I mean, he goes out there. And, and I think one of the most underrated things that people don't ever see is Jimmy will stare down the barrel. He is a good defender running right downhill at him. And it's unblocked. And say it's either hot or just a missed block. Right. And he will stare it down and he will make the throw he needs to make. And I've seen it happen over and over and over again. And I think that's one of the biggest respects to a quarterback is – even when it's not perfect, he doesn't just shy away and then, you know, miss it, miss the throw or anything like that. Like, there's a, there's so many times where he just stares down the barrel and he makes the throw that he needs to make and and helps our team advance to what we need to do. And so um, we don't want to put him in those situations, but the, the fact that he's able to do that is amazing. And I, I think that's where he gets the best respect because, I mean, we've seen it in our room and watching that. I mean, that just makes you feel like – you know, when your quarterback is able to do that, that just makes you feel so amazing just because now you just want to block your ass up and have, like, not my man mentality to make sure that you can do everything you can to give him time. Because when we do, I mean, we, we watched what he did in Mexico City. I mean, he had a hell of a yeah. game. Like, and Jimmy can play. He, he gets the ball out quick. He gets it on time to the places it needs to go to. And when we can do the things that we can help him, I mean, he, he's one of the best in the league. And so um, – he, he's done that consistently over and over again. He's won games, and I think people out there don't ever give him the respect that he deserves. But he is one of the top quarterbacks, and um, I mean, they can go off the talent all they want, but all that matters is the wins. Oh, for sure. And, and I think you talk to people inside the league and executives, and I think that they see the wins, they see the consistency. But you know, th that was going to be my next question for you, right? Because he's taking you to a Super Bowl led you to an NFC title game, and then goes out in Mexico City in front of a division rival, throws four touchdowns, one of the games of his life. But he doesn't seem to get the recognition nationally. And I know that that's probably something that as a player you block out or, or everybody says that they block out. But but why do you think that is? Why, why do you think when people talk about the top quarterbacks in the league, you have a guy who's a, as accomplished as Jimmy G is but just doesn't seem to get that that notoriety and that that respect nationally? Um, I mean – I'd say it's like fantasy points. <laughs> if you look right. at that, like if people don't score fantasy points or they're not an MVP of the league, people don't really recognize them that much. So they don't really, you know, they're on the back burner and then all of a sudden, oh, they're playing an NFC championship game? Oh, wow. Like I wouldn't have expected that or something like that. I mean, it took Tom Brady, what, six Super Bowls before people started giving him recognition, like of how good he was. Like 
I mean, people really didn't call him the GOAT after, you know, the first three Super Bowls. They started calling him the GOAT after he won, like, six, you know, when he started passing right. Charles Haley, like, and it's just like, like, why, why does it take, like, guys won some of the most games and the most Super Bowls in NFL history, and it takes him that long before he can uh, be considered the, the GOAT? I mean, and then now, he, I mean, he's, he's in a pass-happy offense, and he's doing very well, but, I mean, that's just kind of how the NFL is. If guys aren't getting fantasy points, all the stats, and they're not, you know, the MVP of the league, people don't really see them that way. But then, you know, once they once they win six Super Bowls, it's like, oh wow, this guy's actually pretty good. <laughs> so I right, think once I think you start collecting rings, right? Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Is I mean, Jimmy doesn't have that, but if you just look at his win records, I mean, he goes out there and wins. He's a, he's a hell of a quarterback. He's a great NFL player. And at the end of the day, in the NFL, wins is the most important thing. No doubt. And, and, you know, the moment where he returned to that offense, took the reins back, it was had to be a kind of difficult or bittersweet moment, especially in offense. And I'm curious, the moment that, that Trey Lance goes down in, in that game and the week that followed, what was that like for you guys? Because this season seemed like it was going to be a completely different plan, different trajectory. This was Trey's team. What was that week like? And, and you know, did that serve as some sort of springboard for you guys when Jimmy G came in and had the success almost immediately? Um, I think it was just kind of we had confidence in both guys. I mean, we knew sure. Trey, Trey is the young guy. He's coming in, and this is his team. He, he's going to be the franchise of, of, like, quarterback of this team. And, and he's a hell of a player, and he's young, he's talented, and he's got a great head on his shoulders because he goes out there and works his ass off. So he's a hell of a player. And to see him go down, that was probably one of the just sad moments. But that's part of the reason we brought Jimmy back. We didn't bring Jimmy back to, to start over Trey. But if there was ever to have an, like an injury, we have a starting quarterback behind our starter. <laughs> that's not that You don't have that too yeah. often in the NFL. Right. And the fact that Jimmy was willing to stay here, was willing to, to be a backup, and then come in and, and take over the reins, like, that was amazing. Just gave you more respect for that guy. The, that, the fact that he's willing to step down and then take less money and still play for this team. And because he wanted to be a part of this. He loves the guys in this locker room. And, and for him to do that just gives you even more respect for Jimmy. But, I mean, we love both those guys. They're, they're both amazing players. And, and the fact that we were able to just have both of them, we just, I mean, we're lucky as hell. <laughs> the fact that both guys were willing to be here and, and work together, was amazing and, and what happened to Trey is so sad um, and he's doing really well he was at the Mexico City game Good. he's looking great oh that's great uh, yeah he, he's definitely moving along and I, I think I'm, I would guess he's probably ahead of schedule but I, I can't say anything on that but uh, oh for sure he looks amazing uh, and, and hopefully next year he's, he's gonna be a hell of a player but uh but yeah for Jimmy to come in and and to be like selfless and do all that I mean it just gives you more respect for that guy. And then we knew as soon as Trey went down, Jimmy's going to come in and he's going to do his thing because, I mean, we, we had two starting quarterbacks and we are a lucky team to have that. And I think that just made it amazing for us. Yeah, I wrote about that the day after the injury that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and you guys really had the ultimate insurance policy and, and Jimmy G, a guy who's been through it before, won a lot of big games before, and he talked to people around the league. It's the wins that matter most. So, yeah, it really was a win-win situation for everybody to have Jimmy G back in that building. 
and you guys are really collecting the dividends on that right now. You know, Daniel, take me through what this season has been like for you personally, because I know you were banged up early on. You had the hamstring, but you've really carved out a nice role for yourself along that offensive line. What has this season been like for you 11 games into it? Um, yeah, definitely a different season. Uh, that hamstring early was a was a pain in the butt to, to go through all of camp with that and then trying to come back for the Bear game, Bears game and then kind of retour all the scar tissue um, and then just kind of having to sit another three weeks and go back to square one was kind of a, an annoying process. But um, to be able to go back out there and just play with the guys, I mean, that's just been the most fun. Um, and then kind of just being that utility guy and – going to every position i mean i've gotten four position in and four positions in now uh you going for five uh, yeah i don't know if trent will ever <laughs> let that one up but uh yeah <laughs> we'll see but uh but yeah i mean i got i got five in my career so i can i can deal with that but i mean I, i'm hoping all those guys stay healthy and we can continue just keep building our chemistry as an offensive line i mean the guys are playing amazing that i mean the young guys have come in and they played great. Jake Brendel's come in and been an amazing center for us when everybody thought like that was going to be their biggest weakness was our, you know, inside of the line with a bunch of guys hurt, uh, Alex gone. Um, just for these guys to play as well as they have, it's been amazing. And so I think we just continually, like I said earlier, we're a team that's going up. And I think if we can just keep continuing our trend and keep getting guys healthy, I think we're going to be a hell of a team. And one of those guys in that room is Aaron Banks. And, you know, he's had a pretty dominant year himself. You think it's a good chance he winds up in the Pro Bowl when all was said and done this season? What has he brought to you guys up front? I mean, yeah, he's got zero sacks. I think he's definitely a guy that deserves to be on that list. Um, I think he's brought uh, just a huge dynamic of, like, his just physicality. He's a, he's a big player. He, he plays well. He moves well. And I think he's done some amazing things, and he, he brings a lot of energy. And so I think he's going to be a hell of a player going forward. And I would definitely love to see him on that Pro Bowl ballot because, I mean, he'd have my vote every day of the week. He's Daniel Brunskill. Appreciate the time, my friend. Be well. Look forward to talking to you further up the road. And best of luck the rest of the season. All right. Thank you very much. Take care. Daniel Brunskill, San Francisco 49ers offensive guard from the facility fresh off the plane from Mexico City. It doesn't get much better than that. It doesn't get much better than how the 49ers are playing right now and you look at that game on monday night and you look at just the total domination on both sides of the ball offense dictating to the cardinals the defense making life miserable for colt mccoy and eventually trace mcsorley it just looks like they have all the pieces in place they have christian mccaffrey now elijah mitchell is healthy back there so you have the two-headed running back attack I look at Debo Samuel, and, and he's one of the three to four most prolific and, and game-altering talents in the entire league. And I think the 49ers are one of these teams, Daniel said it best, they're on the rise. And it's tough to say a team is on the rise when they're coming off of a Super Bowl and an NFC Championship game appearance in back-to-back seasons. But I look at what they're putting together right now this year, and, and they are just, they're tearing it up. They have all the pieces in place, and it was a Super Bowl two years, three years ago and then the NFC title game this past year, but you get the idea. They've been tearing it up, and they look like when you look at the rest of the NFC, I don't know that the gap between a team like the Philadelphia Eagles and the rest of the conference, say the, the 49ers, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Minnesota Vikings, I don't know that it's as wide as it had been earlier in the year, 
And I think that if the 49ers get in, which it certainly looks like they're going to, looks like they have, to me, they have the pieces in place to be the favorites to win that division in the NFC West and go to the postseason. That's not a team that I want to see on the other side of the ball. It, it, it's just not. And not when you have a, a proven winner like Jimmy Garoppolo, who seems like he's playing some of the best football of his career right now after that game on Monday night. You drop Christian McCaffrey into that offense with Mitchell, with Debo Samuel, with Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, top two tight end in the NFL, matchup nightmare. Their brand of football travels. The 49ers can beat you at home. They can beat you in snowy conditions. They can beat you on a fast track. They can beat you on the road. They have all the ingredients of a Super Bowl caliber team, and that offensive line is turning out to be a really important piece of that puzzle. But on the AFC side of the ledger, I think that when you saw what happened on Sunday night in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium, two things are pretty clear to me. Number one, the Kansas City Chiefs have absolutely reclaimed their status as the NFL's best. They're the best team in the NFL today after week 11. Patrick Mahomes is the MVP front runner today. If I were casting my ballot today, he'd be the number one on the ranked choice ballot because they just look like they're unbeatable. And when you talk about teams that have all of the pieces, yes, I know Tyreek Hill is in Miami. I, I understand that. But they haven't skipped a beat. It took, they went through some growing pains early, but right now, they're humming. The, the Kansas City Chiefs, they look unbeatable. I've seen the NFL's future, and it's the same as the past. It's, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. Everyone saw what happened on Sunday night, right? Everybody was watching that game. We saw what happened in the waning moments in the fourth quarter. Justin Herbert puts together the kind of drive that if the Chargers win that game, it's legacy-defining. Ten plays, 64 yards, gets the touchdown, goes ahead. It looks like this is finally the Chargers getting the monkey off their back, beating their bitter rival, knocking off the Chiefs, inching closer to a playoff berth, maybe even the division lead. But you left 146 on the clock. And I know as soon as they scored that touchdown – those two thoughts rattled through my head. One, wow, what a drive by Justin Herbert. He did what he had to do. This is part of his legacy. You're going to look back on this game. And then they have too much time for Patrick Mahomes. And sure enough, Mahomes and Travis Kelsey connected on the following drive on their third touchdown of the game. Game over. Chiefs win. Chiefs are 8-2. and two, And they have all the pieces and all of the experience to be the team to beat in the AFC. Listen, I think Miami is a great story. What Tua Tungavailoa is doing right now is fantastic. I think he's defied expectations. I think that he's cemented his status as the Dolphins' quarterback of the future. I think that he has the trust of Mike McDaniel. I think that he has rewarded that trust. I think that they have the pieces in place, Miami does, to be the next team in the AFC. The team that we're talking about in 2023 and 2024 and 2025 as Tua gets better, as Jalen Waddle continues to emerge with Tyreek Hill there, with Jeff Wilson now at running back. We talked about him last week and a pretty good defense too. I think the Dolphins are knocking on that doorstep. But man, I don't know that anybody can beat the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know that anybody in the league can play 60 minutes of a perfect game and knock them off when they are at their best. And Patrick Mahomes, listen. He's the MVP frontrunner. We've talked about Josh Allen. We've talked about Jalen Hurts. Tua is on the periphery of that conversation as well, based on what they're doing in Miami. But the season that Patrick Mahomes is putting together is kind of outrageous. 3,265 passing yards. Leads the league. Not just does he lead the league in passing, 
but he has 335 more passing yards than Josh Allen does. That's basically a full game's worth of production with his former best weapon playing in Miami and getting up to speed with newcomers like Marquez Valdez Scandling, with newcomers like Juju Smith Schuster, with a, a backfield with a rookie and Isaiah Pacheco as they're trying to get Clyde Edwards Hilaire right if he's even going to be the, the backfield running back of the future in, in Kansas City at all. Even without Tyreek Hill, Patrick Mahomes looks like and is the best quarterback in the league right now, bar none. He's at the top of the quarterback hierarchy, if both from a production standpoint and a clutchness standpoint. And here's the thing. The thing that I think makes Kansas City so difficult to beat is that they're really tough to beat this time of year. When the games start mattering most, the Chiefs play their best. And this is a hallmark of Andy Reid's teams. Going all the way back to his time in Philadelphia as the Eagles head coach, Andy Reid's teams have always peaked in November and December. And it's practically the Chiefs' organizational philosophy, just stay within striking distance for September and October, keep the race within striking distance, stay healthy, and when the weather starts to turn, when the calendar turns to November, it's go time. Then you pounce. And the Chiefs now have the easiest remaining schedule in the NFL. They only have two playoff teams remaining on their slate the rest of the way, the Bengals and the Seattle Seahawks. And of course, it's a double revenge game against Cincinnati. And you know I love Joe Burrow. You know I think that when that offense is healthy, they're right up there with Kansas City as one of the toughest offenses to beat in the league. And I think that people sleep on the Bengals. But we all saw what happened the last time Patrick Mahomes had a revenge situation in front of him, right? We all watched that Sunday night game in Tampa Bay where they ran Tom Brady and the Bucks out of the building. I don't know that Joe Burrow and the Bengals are going to be able to avoid that feat. But you look at the Bills now looking a little bit beatable, a little bit vulnerable. All of a sudden that loss at home to the Bills, it doesn't seem that catastrophic. Because if the season ended today, guess where the AFC Championship game is? Arrowhead. Again. If the season ended today, the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid would have home field advantage throughout the entire playoffs. And on Sunday night, I think we saw the reason why. And we saw the reason why this team is so difficult to beat year in and year out. And why they are again. Defensive coordinator Steve Spagnuolo really emptied the clip against the Chargers offense. Mahomes looked like the MVP front runner once again. And if they play the way they did against the Chargers, who's beating them? Philadelphia, you you could talk about the Eagles. I don't know that their defense, their secondary holds up. I mean, they were getting beaten by slant patterns all day in Indianapolis. I, I don't know if if you're not going to generate if you're gonna not be able to generate pressure without blitzing, I don't know who's beating Patrick Mahomes, because you know it's a bad idea to blitz him. And if you're not going to score 30-plus every week, I don't think you're going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. But a team on the rise, a team that I think really made a statement on Sunday, it's the Dallas Cowboys. And the Cowboys, in my opinion, when you look at them, they definitely announced their presence as a legitimate contender in the NFC, not just for the playoffs, but for the Super Bowl. That was a really good team they beat on Sunday. They throttled the Minnesota Vikings. Remember, the previously 8-1 and one Minnesota Vikings, who seven days earlier went into Buffalo, punched Josh Allen and the Bills in the mouth, and left with an overtime win. That's who the Vikings were. We talked about this on the show last week. 
that they're the best team two weeks ago, that they're the best team nobody's talking about in the NFL. The Cowboys humiliated them in their building. And I think that if Mike McCarthy can figure out how to manage a playoff game, because I think that's what got in their way last year, horrible play calling, atrocious clock management at the end of the game. If McCarthy can figure that part of it out, they have all the ingredients of a team that can make it through the postseason, make a run. And I think Sunday also represented something a little bit bigger and a little bit more meaningful to what the Cowboys are and what this team is going to be in the future. Because you look at how that game played out. Tony Pollard rushed for 80 yards. Ezekiel Elliott rushed for 80 yards and two touchdowns. And Pollard wasn't just limited to his production on the ground. He caught all six of his targets for 109 yards and two touchdowns. He had 189 yards from scrimmage, which is more yards of total offense than the Vikings had all game. And this really feels like the formula for Dallas, doesn't it? That This is how they're going to win. Dominant defense. Use Micah Parsons like a Swiss Army knife. Bring him off the edge. Line him up as an off-ball inside linebacker and bring him up the middle. He harassed Kirk Cousins all day. Let Trayvon Diggs do his thing on the back end. Use Jalen Curse both in coverage and as a box safety, rushing the passer as well. That's the formula on defense. Great defense, run the football, explosive plays for the passing game. That's how they won, right? That's how they blew out the Vikings, right? But it wasn't just one running back. It wasn't just Ezekiel Elliott as he has been the bell cow since his arrival in Dallas. It was that two-back system. And I think the Cowboys are going to be a, a thunder and lightning two running back type of offense moving forward here, especially after they had so much success that way against the Minnesota Vikings. And I think that Tony Pollard is a heck of a football player. I think Tony Pollard starts on at least 20 teams around the NFL. And he might wind up being the focal point of the Cowboys running game at some point. He's not the understudy. He's not the compliment anymore. And if that's the case, if Tony Pollard's long-term future is in Dallas, and I think it's going to be, I think there's a really good chance the Dallas Cowboys wind up using the franchise tag on Tony Pollard this offseason and asking Ezekiel Elliott to take a pay cut. Because listen, the running back franchise tag is only $9.67 million. I talked to an agent today who was shocked that that's going to be the number. He's familiar with the running back market. He was shocked at how low the franchise tag is. That's how I think the Cowboys keep Tony Pollard. I think they franchise tag him. He's been the most dynamic back the Cowboys have had all season, maybe even dating back to last season. And Ezekiel Elliott is going to count $16 million against the cap in 2023. And I don't think the Cowboys are going to use the out. I don't think they're going to move on from Ezekiel Elliott. I don't think that he's going to be elsewhere in 2023. But I could really see the Cowboys using the franchise tag on Tony Pollard, asking Ezekiel Elliott to restructure his deal and take less money, at least lower the cap number in 2023. And I could really see the Cowboys offense developing into a Cleveland Browns, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt type of situation the way that that backfield and that offense has been. Because you look at why Dak Prescott had so much success and he only had three incomplete passes against the, the Vikings, it's because they pounded the ball down the Vikings' throat all game. That they won by dominating the line of scrimmage with their offensive line, which is when the Cowboys have always been at their best and most successful. And they don't ask Dak to throw the ball more than 30 or 32 times per game. If you bring Pollard back on the franchise tag, and you bring back Ezekiel Elliott at a lower cap number, that's the formula. 
they only have like two and a half million dollars in cap space. If you want to bring Tony Pollard back, I think that's the move. I think that's how they do it. And one guy who I don't think is going to be back, at least maybe not for the rest of this year, and who knows what happens beyond this year, is Jets quarterback Zach Wilson. And when you look at that disaster in Foxborough on Sunday afternoon, that feels like rock bottom, bottom of the barrel for Zach Wilson as the New York Jets starting quarterback. They averaged 2.7 inches per offensive play in the second half. They ran they ran 26 offensive plays in the second half the Jets did. They averaged less than three inches per play. They averaged a pathetic 2.7 yards per play on offense in that game. And I get it that it was a windy day. I get it that it took a, a Marvin Jones 100-yard punt return or whatever it was for a touchdown to walk off to win that game that the Patriots offense couldn't get anything going either. I I get it. I understand it. But the Jets have spent two years building around Zach Wilson, two years prioritizing Zach Wilson's development, two years making him the face of the franchise. And he doesn't look like a quarterback who's played football for more than two years in his life. I, I talked to a coach today who watched Zach Wilson play earlier this year. And he said, quote, he can't read a defense. He relies too much on backyard football. Can't read a defense. Former number two overall pick in the draft, second-year player. Randy Mueller, the twenty, uh, the, the 2002 NFL offensive vet. Randy Mueller, the former NFL executive of the year, told me point blank that he's seen him regress, that Zach Wilson has regressed this year, that his decision-making and anticipation were his hallmarks at BYU, and that it comes down to coaching, it comes down to a bad situation, and it comes down to him just regressing. And I kind of agree with that. The Jets have a lot of talent. They have Garrett Wilson, a first-round pick at wide receiver. They brought in Corey Davis, a possession receiver. CJ Uzoma is more than a competent tight end. Elijah Moore, big play receiver. Michael Carter, pretty good running back, second-year running back. The pieces are there for the Jets to be much better than this, for Zach Wilson to have much more success than this. And he's getting worse. And I know that it's easy to say bench him, but even if they bench him and Robert Sally left the door open to bench Zach Wilson against the Chicago Bears this week. But it feels like if you're going to bench Zach Wilson now, after that game, I don't know how you go back. It feels like it's the end of the road. It feels like that's the end. And I know it's tough. I, I know it's tough to look in the mirror after drafting a quarterback number two overall and realizing that you got it wrong. But if I'm Joe Douglas, if I'm Robert Saleh, if I'm the Jets, if that's how you feel, and and that's what you're seeing from Zach Wilson games like Sunday afternoon, I think it's almost better that you move on sooner rather than later. That if you can get a quarterback this offseason, whether it's a veteran quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo even, if he's available, if the Niners decide to continue with Trey Lance or, or another rookie quarterback coming in, or if you decide to mortgage the farm again and trade up and go get one of the top quarterbacks in the draft, I think the sooner you admit the mistake and you move on, the healthier your franchise is going to be. It just feels like the Jets made a cataclysmic mistake by drafting Zach Wilson as high as they did, and they failed him in developing too. Let's not put all of this on Zach Wilson's feet. Mike LaFleur, his only experience working with a young quarterback was Drew Locke in Denver. You look at the quarterback coach, 
and and they've had Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco. So it's it's a one of these situations where the coaching staff just hasn't been the infrastructure to develop Zach Wilson because he hasn't had a coaching staff around him or any coaches really, not the head coach, especially a former defensive coordinator with any experience developing a young quarterback. So it's not just Zach Wilson failing the Jets. The Jets failed Zach Wilson too. And I don't know how you come back from that. I don't know how you come back from Sunday. But one team that didn't make a mistake in the draft, one team that hasn't failed their rookie and their rookie hasn't failed them, is Chicago Bears second-round pick Jaquan Brisker. And I watched Jaquan Brisker play, and obviously I've, I've watched a lot of Jaquan Brisker during his career at Penn State, every one of his college games and a lot of his games with the Bears this year. I don't know how Jaquan Brisker isn't getting more conversation as the NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. Listen, he leads all rookies with 53 total tackles. He leads the Bears with three sacks. He's equally disruptive and versatile and effective in coverage as he is as a box safety up near the line of scrimmage. He's forced a fumble. He's recovered a fumble. He's already stepping up as one of the leaders of that defense. You heard what happened after the hit on Justin Fields in Atlanta on Sunday afternoon. Really quick to criticize the officiating after, and there not being a call there on the play where Fields got hurt and, and injured his shoulder. But I look at Jaquan Brisker. He's a special, special talent. Some guys are really good in coverage. Some guys are really good rushing the passer from that position and throwing their weight around in run support. Jaquan Brisker does both. And I know that the Bears really emphasize defense, drafting Jaquan Brisker and Kyler Gordon early in the draft. And we've talked a lot and criticized Ryan Poles and the Bears a lot for not building around Justin Fields, for not going and getting him one of the top wide receivers in this class or investing in the offensive line. But they got it right with Jaquan Brisker. And, and I look at the other rookies in this class, and you know Trayvon Walker, he's made some highlight real level, level plays, freak athlete. Stats aren't jumping off the page. I don't know that he's necessarily made the Jaguars' defense a whole lot better. Aiden Hutchinson has been dominant. Five and a half sacks as a defensive end. Brisker has three as a safety. 53 total tackles. Playmaker. And I think that as this year continues to go on, if, if the Bears defense plays at the level that it has been, I wouldn't be shocked if Jaquan Brisker gets more pub as a potential offensive rookie of the year. But his name defensive rookie of the year, rather. But his name should be coming up a lot more than it is right now. And you know, we spent a lot of time early in the podcast talking about the San Francisco 49ers and their emergence. And obviously what the Kansas City Chiefs did against a division rival on Sunday night in Los Angeles against the Chargers. But there's a really strange phenomenon going on in Philadelphia right now. The Eagles win on Sunday afternoon. They come back, right? They, they go in into Indianapolis. And I don't know that people necessarily understand how hard it is to win on the road in the NFL. But they win 17-16 to 16 in Indianapolis in a game that very clearly meant a lot more than most do to head coach Nick Sirianni, both because it's a return to Indianapolis where he was the offensive coordinator, both because of how he, he was pretty upset with how his mentor, Frank Reich, was fired. He saw it after the game. There's that clip that emerged where he ran over to the sidelines and screamed into the stands to no one in particular, that's for Frank Reich. We all saw that happen, right? It was a game that meant a lot to that franchise, or at least to key members of it. 
but yet in Philadelphia, people are hand wringing and and they're worried and 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 they're up in arms about what happened. There there, there was talk about moving on from Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator. I don't I don't understand it. I grew up in this town. I I I get the fan base. I I know that they're a passionate bunch. But Philadelphia needs to R-E-L-A-X. They need to relax. Apologies to Aaron Rodgers. Jalen Hurts, two fourth-quarter touchdowns, one through the air, and then the eventual game winner with his legs, running it in. Offensive line did its job. You need a great offensive line to win in the NFL. They parted the Colts' front seven like the Red Sea, and on a delayed draw, Jalen Hurts takes it in for the touchdown. It was his sixth fourth-quarter comeback, and when you think back to the last two weeks, it's not his fault his receiver dropped that ball, the fumble in the fourth quarter against the Commanders. It's not his fault Brandon Graham got flagged for unnecessary roughness, not giving Jalen Hurts, an MVP candidate, the chance to get back on the field and try to put together a game-winning drive. That's not on Jalen Hurts. He made the throw last week against the Commanders. He did what he needed to do to come back and win on the road in Indianapolis. And the two weeks leading up to this game on defense, yeah, not great. <laughs> not great. You, you want to hand ring about Philadelphia the last look at the last two weeks in that defense. Two weeks ago on a Thursday night, the Texans rushed for like 168. The commanders run it down their throats for 152. All the talk leading into Sunday was here comes Jonathan Taylor. Here comes Saquon Barkley. Here comes Derrick Henry. Here comes Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. The Eagles passed the first test. That's how Roseman has done all since the offseason. Did what he needed to do. He went out and signed Linval Joseph and, and Damakon Sue. They combined for a sack, combined for seven total tackles. But they held Jonathan Taylor to 86 yards, kept him under 100. 49 of those yards came in the first quarter. So the Eagles defense really clamped down and slammed the door, did what they needed to do against arguably a top three running back in the NFL. But people in Philadelphia are worried. I don't get it. Listen, I don't think the Eagles are leaps and bounds better than everybody in the NFC right now. You look at the Vikings, you look at the Cowboys, you look at the 49ers. I think they're nipping at the Eagles' heels for sure, but they're still the number one seed. They're still, what, nine and one? Three teams have started nine and one in the history of the NFL. Two of them have gone on to the Super Bowl. Are the Eagles going to be the third? I just don't get, I don't understand why the fan base is so concerned after what they saw, because to me watching that game, and again, I'm watching 16, 17 games, whatever it is on a Sunday, I'm watching everything. I had the Eagles game on one TV, the Giants game on the other and red zone on the third, but watching that Eagles game, it felt more like a character defining win. You would put it together and come back in the fourth quarter and get the job done versus some sort of indictment that they're not good enough to make a run. So I think people in Philadelphia need to just take a breath and realize that they're one of the best teams in the NFL and they have the pieces in place. They have an all-star team in their front seven. There's basically a Pro Bowl defensive line too deep when you look at who they can rotate through now in short yardage and obvious running situations. They have the pieces in place, an MVP caliber quarterback. So they didn't beat the Colts 30-6. to Who cares? All right, let's give out the Lombardo Trophy. It's time every week we give out the Lombardo Trophy to the individual or unit that made the biggest impression, the biggest statement the prior week. And on Sunday afternoon, Sunday night really, I think the choice is very obvious. It's Travis Kelsey. 
You look at what Travis Kelsey did against the Chargers, six catches, 115 yards, three touchdowns. And when the Chiefs needed a big catch in the biggest moment of the game, Kelsey was the guy to bring it down. Kelsey was the guy to make it happen. And I know I've said this before on this podcast. I know that I've written it in my column. When Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey are on the same page, when they're firing on all cylinders, when they're at their most effective, there isn't a more dominant one-two punch, a more dominant dynamic duo in the entire NFL than Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. And they showed you why on Sunday night. And that was a gotta-have-it game for the Chiefs. That gave them some breathing room in the AFC playoff race. It certainly further separated the pack in the AFC West. They've now swept the Chargers. So even if somehow Los Angeles makes a big run down the stretch here, they have the head-to-head tiebreaker tucked away. They're going to have home field advantage at least until the AFC title game, maybe further depending on how this season winds up. And we already mentioned they have the easiest schedule remaining of anybody in the league. So chances are the road to the Super Bowl in the AFC and the AFC title game go through Arrowhead. And Travis Kelsey and what he did in that game are a major reason why. Finally, the pick of the week. And as always, if you're riding with me on the pick of the week, if you go to FanDuel.com and you make your pick my pick, if you go with the Chicago Bears plus four and a half over the Jets, as I am, as my pick of the week, if you go to FanDuel and place that bet, if you're riding with me and you screenshot it and you tweet it to me, We'll mention it on the podcast next week. We'll shout out your handle and everything. Because here's the thing. I know Justin Fields is battling the injured shoulder. I know that his availability is a little bit unknown. But it sounds like he's going to play. But Justin Fields has done it all. A couple weeks ago, he sets the all-time record for rushing yards in a single game by a quarterback. He's just as big of a threat with his legs as he is with his arm. I don't see a shoulder injury holding him back. I don't know that there are five bigger playmakers at that position right now today over the last four weeks. If you're just looking at the sample size of the recent weeks in the NFL, I don't know that there are four or five bigger playmakers at quarterback in the NFL today than Justin Fields. And the Jets, they're an absolute train wreck right now. I'm not sure how you get up for this game in Chicago, which is going to be another windy day. I don't care whether it's Zach Wilson, who's alienated his locker room and his teammates and his defense. I don't care if it's Joe Flacco. I don't care if it's Mike White. I don't care who it is. I don't know how they get up for this game after the week that they've just had. And all of the uncertainty at quarterback in the elements where it's going to be cold and blustery and windy in Chicago and beat a Bears team that has Justin Fields that's running the ball more effectively than anybody in the NFL right now. And I know that they haven't been able to close. I know the Bears haven't been able to win, but they're getting four and a half. I love the Bears plus the four and a half against the Jets as my pick of the week this week. If you're riding with me, screenshot your betting slip, tweet it to me, and we'll mention it on the podcast next week. This is a really fun show. Really enjoyed it. was great to have you along the ride. Thanks to 49ers offensive guard Daniel Brunskill. Again, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube. Throw us a like there. And please leave those five-star reviews on the Apple Podcast Store. They really help grow the show. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, a guest or two you might want to have on, and we'll go and get them. Thanks, as always, to my producer extraordinaire, Thomas Darrow. 
just a, a rock star behind the scenes, instrumental in getting this podcast up and running every week, becoming a really good friend. Enjoy working with him and the whole team at Heavy. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. Check out my columns every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and a whole bunch of great content in between at Heavy.com. I'm Matt Lombardo. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Enjoy a great weekend of NFL action ahead. And we'll talk to you next week. Same time, same place, right here on the Matt Lombardo Show presented by Heavy Sports.